0: of us can turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. It is on page 9 of your bulletin, and we have, can you believe it, finally reached the end of the Sermon on the Mount, a journey we began back in late February, and one by God's grace we have been Continuing on until today. And of course, even 27 sermons doesn't do it justice. We could spend until kingdom come looking at the Sermon on the Mount, for we could never plumb the depths ultimately of Scripture. But it has been a journey nonetheless, and one that we have been blessed by as we have encountered this profound sermon from the Lord Jesus Himself. And so we are in part 27 which is the last sermon in this series. And we are looking together again at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And it says this. As Jesus closes, he says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. Since 1997, HGTV has been doing its dream home sweepstakes. 1997 till today, HG. TV Home and Garden Television, has been doing its Dream Home sweepstakes, which maybe you've entered yourself. It's okay if you have. I have. Okay, full disclosure. Okay, so if we win, we're moving. Sorry. Just kidding. Um, but no, seriously. Well, not the moving part, but um, HGTV, again, 1997 Dream Home sweepstakes. If you know about it, they basically select an idyllic, you know, beautiful location. Uh, The first one was actually Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They've done actually also four in Florida. They have done a dream home in Mexico Beach, which is panhandle area. Rosemary Beach, also sort of panhandle area. Merritt Island over here on the east coast, as you know, and then Isla Morata. Okay, so four locations have been done in the beautiful state of Florida as well. But basically, as you know, they select an idyllic location, they contract with some of their best or celebrity designers, and they build this house, again, that only dreams are made of, and millions upon millions of people enter this sweepstakes. We actually have one time. We obviously didn't win. Uh, But We have entered it, and millions upon millions of people enter this for the chance to win, again, this incredible house. Uh, It usually also comes with a a small cash prize, and it also comes with a vehicle, okay? So this incredible, incredible sweepstakes. Well, you might know that since 1997, again, so however many years that is, you know, 20-plus years of doing this sweepstakes since 1997— only two people two people have managed to win the home and then stay in the house and keep it as their permanent residence why why well as we know it's one thing to win the house but it's a whole another thing to remain to actually live in the house to make it sustainable to keep The house, because as we know, there's things like, you know, income taxes, you know, gift taxes that come our way. Property taxes on a, you know, gigantic, beautiful, uh, you know, paradisal home. Utility costs and all of those kind of things. And so if an average Joe wins these houses, then again, it's hard to remain in them because of all these costs, right? All these costs. The dream home is great but without the proper planning and the adequate means without the foundation to support that dream home then again what happens what happens well it can fall through our hands just like the grains of sand it can be there we can enjoy it for a moment but then it can fall through again our fingers like grains of sand well that should remind you that image that should remind that we just read This morning, the image that Christ gives us here, if you notice in chapter 7, the image he gives us is that of two men building houses. Two men dreaming up houses to live in and to dwell in and to flourish in. Again, no one builds a house usually without those intentions. In mind. So, two men building houses and they have this shared decision and this shared, again, desired ends for what these houses will look like and be. They want to be homes, but they vary greatly in where they are built and what they are built upon. Again, we're told here in chapter seven by Jesus that the first man builds on rock, he builds on rock, a solid and, and steady sturdy surface that can, you know, have a foundation supported. You can drill down deep. It can withstand the floods and the winds that come against it. The image you should hold in your minds are, you know, building codes after 1992 here in Florida. What happened in 92? Hurricane Andrew, right? Hurricane Andrew came and it changed forever. Florida building laws and Florida Building codes. So the image here is the man who is building on rock, who is building on Miami Dade, you know, post 92 building codes. It's sturdy, the foundation is dug deep. But we're also told by Christ that the other man builds on sand. He builds on sand. Maybe he wanted the beachfront view, he wants the salt, you know, in his hair, he wants the, the wind, you know, blowing, okay? But he builds on sand, this soft, shifting surface, one that does not allow for a foundation to be dug deep. One that when the winds and the rains and the floods come, we're told by Jesus, it cannot stand. It's not anchored. It is not steadfast, but again, it is shifting. Again, the image we can hold in our minds, and I don't want to make light of it, but think of the recent tragedy even in Surfside, right? Those images, those horrific images of this collapsed condo. Think about the, the, the horror, the terror, the instability there. Think about that. Think about if you go to build a, a sand castle even on the beach, right? It, it, it stands and it's impressive. but the, the waters come, the tide comes, and it cannot stand ultimately the test of time. You see, the words here of Christ... The images he gives here, the teaching of Jesus here reminds us that we don't have to be featured on an HGTV special. We don't have to have a general contractor's license for all of us, every person here, for all of us ultimately to be builders. Again, no sweepstakes, no experience, no HGTV camera crew, no contractor's license required. Every single person, metaphorically speaking, is a builder. We are attempting to build, to construct something, namely a life, in this world. We are attempting to build something. That Christ here reminds us that, again, by virtue of being alive, by virtue of being in this world, by virtue of being in relationship, we are striving to construct and to build something, again, namely a life, But where we build and what we build upon is the difference maker in those things. And so the question this text forces us to ask is, where are you building? What and where are you building this morning? What am I building? Where are we building today? Because again, no codes, no requirements, no licenses are required for us to build a life in this world. I've joked though that maybe there should be. Maybe there should be a license required to build you know, our lives. I remember when we first had Wyatt, you know, our, our firstborn, I was absolutely terrified and, and, and horrified to realize that you only get one night in the hospital, right? And then what do they do? They wheel you to the curb, they give you a little bag with like a few diapers and maybe like a swaddle, and they just send you on your merry way. And they just go, all right, hey, good luck. Okay? On your way, right? Maybe there should be a little more preparation required to, you know, raising a tiny human, right? That seems like a pretty big deal. I think that last time I bought a car, they actually gave me more training on how to operate the radio and, you know, how to change the flat tire than they give when they, you know, you bring a tiny human into the world, okay? So maybe there should be a license required, but we know there's not. There's not no license required, again, to build a life in this world. We've all been at work building. We're building today, whether we realize it or not, that building just takes different shapes throughout our lives, just like, to continue the metaphor, the houses we live in change throughout our lives. I mean, think about your life. I can think about mine. You know, I went from my parents' House to then eventually a college dorm, from a college dorm to, you know, an apartment with friends, an apartment with friends, to eventually a house with friends. I eventually then got married and we had our first apartment together, April and I. We went from an apartment then to a townhouse, from a townhouse to a single family house, from that house in Pompano to now we have our house in Lake Worth, right? We, we change dwellings, we're building houses all throughout our lives. They look different at different places, different seasons. But the, but the reality, and what's unchanging, is that we are actively building from youth to adulthood. Again, constructing places for our hearts to find rest to find satisfaction and contentment and meaning and purpose. And so again, the question comes again before us today, what is the foundation you're building upon in your life? Whether you're a youth, child, senior adult, somewhere in between, what are you building? What am I building my life, your life upon for again, Jesus here and the rest of Scripture elsewhere makes plain that when it comes to the art of building, the art of construction, we basically have two options. Two options I want to consider this morning. And the two options are this. We can build our lives, as Christ makes plain, on the sure foundation of himself. So we can build our lives on the sure foundation of Christ Jesus himself. His life, his death, his resurrection, his words, his will for our lives. The paradigm of his kingdom that he has been teaching now all throughout this sermon. We can build on that foundation or we can build our lives on the gifts that Jesus gives us That he never intended for us to worship. Do you see the difference? We can build on Christ himself and the foundation of the gospel, the foundation of God alone, or we can also, though, build on the gifts that Jesus gave us, but gifts that were never intended to ultimately anchor our lives, never intended to ultimately be the source of worship. Do you know what what that's called, that second option? It's called an idol. It's called an idol. An idol is a good thing that God gives to us, but it's a good thing that we ultimately turn into an ultimate thing. It's a good thing that God gives that we then turn into God itself. And ultimately then it disappoints us. And it cannot anchor the full weight of our hopes and our expectations in our lives. So the question then is what does it look like to build our lives on these gifts, again that God gives, but never intended to ultimately have us worship. Well, there was an article, or an interview, rather. Back in 2005, so it's been a while, because his life has gotten really even better since then. I mean, it's incredible. But back in 2005, uh, 60 Minutes did an interview with Tom Brady. Tom Brady, quarterback of the New England Patriots, you know, just consummate, good-looking dude, right? Top of the world, okay? Uh, 2005, 60 Minutes gave an interview with New England Patriot quarterback Tom Brady. You know, multiple Super Bowl winner. Of course, now he's with the Bucks. But here's an interesting thing. So the interviewer asked this question to Tom Brady. He says, this whole experience, this whole upward trajectory of your career, what have you learned about yourself? What kind of an effect does it have on you? And Brady responds, well, I put incredible amounts of pressure on me. When you feel like you're ultimately responsible for everyone and everything, even though you have no control over it, and you still blame yourself if things don't go right, I mean, there's a lot of pressure. A lot of times I think I get very frustrated and introverted, and there's times where I'm not the person I want to be. Here's an incredible statement that, that Brady makes. Why do I have three, he's got more now, he's got, what, seven now? But back then he had three. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is it. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, but me, I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? And the interviewer asks, well, what's the answer? And Brady responds, I wish I knew, I wish, I knew. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it wouldn't be great to be Tom Brady. Okay? This is not a let's feel sorry for Tom Brady moment. Okay? That would be somewhat laughable. I think we can lose credibility even inside the church, even as Christians, when we pretend that we don't have some of the same desires the world does. We want to be comfortable. We want to be at the top of our profession. We want our careers and our families to succeed. We want to be well off. Those are, again, all appropriate desires. Who wouldn't want to climb to the mountaintop of their place in life? That's, that's an okay desire. But what the, the Brady quote does bring out for us, and what it does make plain to us, is this pervasive, again, human tendency to worship the gifts and not the giver himself. To build our lives, again, on good but temporal things. And because the gifts themselves are temporal as opposed to the giver who is eternal, those gifts, even when extravagant, cannot support the weight of our hopes. They cannot support the weight of our hopes. The gifts, though good, are temporal. Temporal. But we have within us this eternal longing, this eternal desire. Romans 1 puts it this way, and it speaks to a whole host of things, but, but Romans 1 puts it this way, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and here's the the key. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There's this pervasive human tendency to worship the creature, the created things, and not the creator himself. Romans 1 makes that plain The interview with Tom Brady makes that plain that that what happens in our lives is that often, you know, we only identify shifting sand foundations of discontentment. We only identify shifting sand foundations of discontentment as the wrong things we've done. Isn't that true? As the wrong things we've done. So, for instance, in our lives, you know, we can look and see our lives have gone off the rails when we've fallen into things like addiction, or our lives have gone off the rails and we've fallen into toxic relationships or, or dead-end jobs or financial ruin or, or some kind of heartbreak. It, those are easy kind of crumbling foundations for us to identify and then try to then, you know, turn away from. But the question is, what about when we have it all? What about when we have it all? What about when, we have, when, when things are going well? What about when you're... Like Tom Brady. And you go, well, okay, I'm not Tom Brady. You know, I, I don't have seven Super Bowl rings. I don't have a you know it all together, I don't have everything I want. But I would argue you do. I would argue I do. I would argue by virtue of where we live. We live in 21st century America. By virtue of where we live and sit this morning, as we know, we're in the top one percent of humanity. We're in the top 1% of history, even average Joes. So what about when you have everything you've ever wanted? What about when you wake up and realize you are living in the dream home? A family, a career, a house, friends, relationships, clothes on your back, food on the table, cars to drive, health, enough money at least to not worry about how you're going to pay rent or your mortgage that month. What about when you have it all, whatever that is for you, whatever that is for me, but we still then feel like there's something more. We still have this longing we can't quite describe or, or, or seem to ultimately satisfy. Well, it's in that moment, the answer for all of us, in that moment, is that the functional foundation that we're resting upon, again, are the gifts themselves and not the giver who stands behind them. We have this eternal God-wired desire placed within us. But again, those temporal gifts can only scratch the surface. They can't ultimately satisfy. Think about how long it took Israel. Think about how long it took national Israel after being set free from slavery in Egypt to have that novel feeling of freedom wear off. How long did it take? (laughs) They left Egypt miraculously. They're given freedom. But how long until they ultimately said, you know, that wasn't enough anymore, and they wanted to actually go back to bondage in Egypt? How long did it take? Not very long, right? Not very long. Well, why is that? Why is that? Why did it happen so quickly? Because as we know, the true prize for Israel was never the gift of freedom itself. It was never even the gift of their own land So when they got those things that couldn't sustain their hopes, the true gift all along, the treasured prize, the cherished prize and gift all along was the gift of God's presence itself. That was what truly could anchor and satisfy them. And that was actually what was with them, even in bondage, but they didn't see it. They didn't see it. I think the same thing could be true of us sometimes as well. When your functional foundation is your career. What happens when that promotion never comes? What happens when your company downsizes? What happens? If our functional foundation is our children, what happens when they don't perfectly play the role we wrote for them in the movies of our lives? Which, if we're honest, is usually more about us than them, right? What happens then? What happens? What happens when the functional foundation of your life is your spouse, but your spouse shows themselves to be normal and sinful just like you, right? Just like me. In those moments, we realize we've been trying to build our dream house again on the foundation of a gift, even a really good gift, but a temporal one Nonetheless, and a gift, like everything else in this world, is beautiful but broken. Beautiful but broken. And when the wind of expectations come and the floods of life and stress come, we realize that those things, again, are good, but they cannot ultimately anchor the full weight and hopes of our lives. Those things were never meant to be worshipped, but ultimately simply stewarded. Stewarded. Cherished, treasured, but not worshipped. Preserved, thankful for, but not worshipped. But we learn here in this text that there is a foundation that can support the full weight of our hopes. There is a foundation that can support the full weight of our hopes and is intended to be worshipped. And that foundation is the rock of Christ Jesus himself, the one who stands behind all the gifts we have in our lives. The rock himself. Recall that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus here in the sermon, now for quite some time, has been commenting extensively on the law. And if you remember, he's been highlighting the fact that many religious leaders in his day had taken the law and they tried to turn it into God. Instead of allowing the law to play its original role, which was a mirror we talked about, a mirror. A mirror that pointed out God's perfection and his glory, but then a mirror that pointed out our imperfection and our sin. And therefore, then the law does not replace God or pretend to be God, but the law points beyond itself to the God who gave it. That same principle is at work here. This principle is true for the foundations of our lives also. The secret to... Sorry, my mic is really having trouble today. The secret to contentment. The secret to a fulfilled life that is not swayed by the winds and the floods of life but is anchored is to remember the words of Christ when he says elsewhere, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Not to your stuff, not to your career, Not even to your spouse in the right sense of the word. I'm not saying you don't have the relationship and the honesty and the pray together, talk together. But don't come to anything else in this world. Come to me, Christ says, and I will give you rest. That when we find ourselves in the valleys of life, afflicted and troubled and in great need, weary and burdened by life, it's then that Jesus and the foundation of his love are still with us. We might not see it, We might not feel it, but he always makes a way out for us. He will enable us to keep one foot in front of the other on him, the strong foundation of our lives. Psalm 121 puts it this way. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. Think about that. Our help in this life comes from the Lord. He will not let your foot be moved. He puts it on the solid rock of Christ. He puts it on the foundation of his love and the gospel. He who keeps Israel or the people of God, which includes you, will neither slumber nor sleep. Remember those same words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest even on the mountaintops of life. Even on the mountaintops of life. To again, not make gods of the gifts themselves, but to be moved toward a profound gratitude toward God. To thank him for his gifts. To cherish and steward his gifts, but to see him behind them all. To recognize that no gift is as precious or eternal as the gift that God gave of himself. Himself. The burden-lifting, rest-securing foundation only found in Christ. Only found in Christ. So the question again for all of us as we close is where are you building? Where are you building this morning? May we all be found to be building on the rock which is Christ, the one who will never leave us or forsake us, the great unchangeable foundation, the great unchangeable I am, who was, who is, and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your good gifts to us. Lord, you are gracious, you are generous, you are merciful and loving and kind. And so, Lord, we thank you for your abundance to us this morning. But Lord, as we mentioned all those adjectives just now, we often think of the stuff in our lives and often fail to realize that the greatest gift you gave us is ultimately the gift of yourself. Your presence, your favor, that we can actually commune with you, we can be in relationship with you, we can have access to you the God of all the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence, the all-powerful I am. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that access through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived that perfect life. He died that atoning death, and he rose that, again, he might bring us back to you. He might put us back in right fellowship with you. So Lord, again, we thank you for your grace and your goodness and your generosity and your kindness and your mercy and your abundance, which is ours in Christ. We thank you once again and we praise you in his name, in his name alone. Amen.